Romans 13. Let's bow in a word of prayer and we'll begin. Father, you are sovereign God. You are holy, you are transcendent, you are far above anything we could possibly fully imagine or grasp. We cannot put our arms around you. We cannot have high enough thoughts to exhaust all of the words that should describe you. We are small, we are finite creatures, and we submit ourselves before you this morning as what we truly are. We are creatures. We are not as big as we think we are sometimes. And we ought not to fear. Uh, we ought to trust in who you are and how you've personally revealed yourself to us and that you've come and shepherded us in so many loving and kind ways. Help us this morning, Lord, to learn what you have to say about government and about you with regard to your relationship with government and us. So. Help us to understand that three-part relationship between us, government, and you better today. Thank you so much for your gracious, loving kindness to us that we are all here this morning. Some of us have had laughter this morning. Some of us have had mourning or pain. Lord, you've, you've filled us with so many good things over the course of our life. Help us to focus on you and your kingdom above all things, and to put, put worldly things in their place. That we'd understand that whatever we have to do on this earth, it's to magnify and ultimately uplift and uphold your kingdom, and to look forward to the glorious future we have in you. Amen. Romans 13. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. So, how many people are supposed to be subject to the government? And in Greek, the term person here is soul, psukos. And so every soul, every person without exception, this isn't talking about distinction, which the New Testament often, often uses the term every or all with regard to without distinction. Here, because of context of who the government is, it slightly changes the, the, the meaning of every or all. And that would mean all individuals that live underneath government. And we can, you, can, you can pick that up as you read through the rest of the passage. Because... Who is government assigned over? Just believers? Government exists of a lot of people that are not believers. And they exist to bear criminal ju uh, justice upon believers and unbelievers. Both. Both groups. So this is talking about all people, every person, without exception. Not without distinction. Without distinction would mean without regard to race, without regard to language, some type of personal identifier that would separate you from other groups of people. 
Every person is to be subject to the governing authorities. How many people love this term and like the idea of being subject? Submissive. Obedient. Come on, you guys got... Come on. Let's be honest here. How many of you are rebellious patriots at heart? That's totally wrong. So today I'm going to say some radical things, perhaps, that some people might be uncomfortable with. Or, and I'm going to ask you to hold your questions till the end. Or have me out to Caribou Coffee, like I said last week, since I'll become your enemy by the end of the day with what I'm going to teach through. But I want you to have, just before we get into some of those things, and maybe I'll launch this as a something prior to the coming of what we'll actually cover, is that consider Jesus Christ. Did Jesus Christ submit himself to the point of death? Okay, so let's start with that premise. Okay? So I'm not going to ask you anything crazy to do or to take on into your mentality or your ideology with regard to American patriotism, the Constitution, loyalty to that. And I'm going to ask you and challenge you, what are you more loyal to? New Testament truth or constitutional rights? The New Testament actually teaches that some of the rights you believe you have as a constitutional American citizen are wrong, the New Testament would tell you you do not have the right as a Christian to take those rights. And we'll, maybe we'll get into that in my sermon next week. <laughs> okay, but every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities for... Why? There is no authority. So Paul gives the why. Yes? Four. Very important. Why are people to be subject? Why are we to be obedient? Why are we to be submissive? Why are we not to be rebellious? Because, four, there is no authority except from God. How many of you are upset right now with some person that's in government or on a news camera that has a position of authority? I want you to recognize this morning what the text actually says. Every single person you see in whatever authoritative position they hold or have is there from God. We either believe what it says plainly or we strive to make the New Testament say something that we want it to say. All these people which exist in their authoritative position are established by God. So he repeats himself and uses another term that God is the one actually establishing them. Not only do they come from God, but he has put them in their place. If you if you didn't get this right of what it means, he goes one step further and says, God's the one that established them in that position. God is the one who has placed them. God is the one who verbed and actioned on that person, ultimately, in God's sovereignty, worked in such a way where that person was established in the position that they're in. Therefore... 
So since these things are true, Paul has some a therefore for us. Whoever, anyone, whoever resists this authority which comes from God and which God has established has opposed the ordinance of God. God has ordained these people. God, these people come from God. These people are established from, by God. And those who oppose them are not simply resisting Caesar. They're resisting God himself. Who puts Caesar in place? Do you know when Paul wrote this letter, who was in charge of the world? Caesar. Was Caesar a lovely, flawless Man. No. So this is the historical context in which the New Testament was written. Now let's go one step of government below the world empire, which was Rome. Let's go one step below. The Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin of the Jews, still had various forms of authority to, amongst the Jewish people underneath the authority of the world empire. They still had laws and regulations, and they followed the leadership of those in authority over them. Those in authority over them had still used, they still followed national law, and their leaders had the right to put to death people. Okay? Who was arrested by the Sanhedrin in the Garden of Gethsemane? Did he go peacefully? Yes, he did. And when Peter removed his sword against the government's soldiers, the Sanhedrin's soldiers, and cut off the ear of the high priest's servant, what did Jesus tell Peter? Does anyone remember? Put your sword away. He who lives by the sword shall die by the sword. And in the context, who are the people present? Who are the groups present? You had the apostles, you had Jesus, the king of the kingdom, and then you had a worldly kingdom that was religiously wrong, the Sanhedrin and their soldiers. Nevertheless, the master of the spiritual kingdom told his disciples of that kingdom, when the kingdom of this earth comes against you, what are we, how are we to behave? When the government arrests you or anyone amongst you, you have no authority or right to live beyond the government that God has established sovereignly that you are under, even though you're part of my kingdom spiritually. You don't have the right to rebel or to take up arms. Nice American term. You don't have the right to take up the sword, guns, violence, against the authority that you're actually placed under by God. And if you read Acts 1 through 10, you'll see Luke weave that theme. You'll see Luke weave that theme because so many of them were persecuted, tried, arrested, and none of the apostles said, we've got over 3,000 men strong, we could overthrow the Sanhedrin and start over with Israel as a Christian nation. Nope, that was not the ideal, and that wasn't the way of the kingdom. 
It wasn't to overthrow what you were placed under. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God. They who have opposed will receive condemnation or judgment upon themselves. And I believe that's what Jesus says, is that condemnation and that judgment that's later down, further down in the passage here, not here, but further down in the paragraph, is the right to be put to death by the government for evil behavior, for rebellious behavior. Four, rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior. And this, what is good behavior? What's good behavior in the context? A general submissive subjection. But it also means this good behavior also implies general morality, a general falling of the nation's laws. Most nations follow something close to the Ten Commandments. Well, the second half of the Ten Commandments. No murder, no stealing, no raping, no pillaging, no thievery. Most nations hold to those general truths because nobody likes it when that thing happens to them. And so most people generally follow that. And that's a, that's a providential, sovereign, common grace that God extends toward all most mankind on the face of the earth. That's the civic authority establishing some common grace for all people on the earth. That we have some degree of law and order in our societies from the government. Which has been established by God... So we shouldn't fear the rulers. Now, in the historical context, consider what, what Paul is saying here. And this was written after James, the brother of John, had his head cut off by Herod. This letter was written after that. Paul is still saying this. You don't need to have a fear for the rulers. Wait a second, the rulers are beating us, they're imprisoning us, and they're killing us. So in what way do we apply this we shouldn't fear? That was a long pause. I like making everyone feel uncomfortable. That's my style. <laughs> So rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. In general, this falls back on the idea that most people uphold what is generally right and good. No murder. While, while the rulers are arresting Christians and stuff like that, they're still upholding law and order to some degree in society. Roman soldiers, policemen, different people are still keeping robbers in check. They're still having criminal court cases where if somebody kidnapped somebody, they're still dealing with that person who was a kidnapper and stole somebody else's child. They're still doing good things that God has put them in place to do, while some evil or bad things are happening out of them at the same time. And that, that happens all the time right here in America. As, as good as our governments are, upholding many, many wonderful privileges we have 
and the safety that we have to travel. I mean, so many people just drive across the country without any fear. Because that's how well our government is doing suppressing hard crimes that would cause us to fear to travel. Without bazookas and 50 cows on our van <laughs> to defend ourselves. You know, you don't have to worry about the gangs of the West anymore. Really. Maybe if you go to Chicago. <clears throat> but in general, even that government, and the government in the city of Chicago, many say, oh, they're involved with the mafia and there's corruption in New York and different places, but there's still a lot of policemen that are doing good, yes? yes. Mm -hmm. Consider the centurion in the New Testament. Was he a righteous, good, and noble man? But was he also in league or a part of people that maybe were corrupt? So there's good guys and there's bad guys. It doesn't matter. We submit to the authority <clears throat> in general. So do you want to have no fear of authority? And that's the, that's the question Paul has for us. Do we want to have no respect for authority? Do we want to have no fear of authority? And, Paul, and then Paul tells us, do what is good, do what is right, live a noble, submissive, virtuous life, and you will have praise from the government. We adorn the doctrine of God as Christians when we behave rightly, when we behave rightly as a church and we seek to police each other, not to be rebellious against those in authority. We adorn the doctrine of God and we get praise from the government when we show how Christ commands us to live. We adorn the doctrine of God. And this is actually Luke wrote Luke and Acts to the most excellent Theophilus. The title most excellent means he's a high dignitary, probably of Rome. And in, and in Acts especially, Luke shows in the first 10 chapters how much various forms of government per persecuted the Christians and how the Christians never rebelled against the government, but praised God to be considered worthy of being persecuted for the name of Jesus. Praise God for being considered worthy of persecution by the government, by the authorities. And the man who's writing this letter, does anybody remember the story of Paul, Saul? He was given authority by the Sanhedrin to go and start ravaging and imprisoning Christians, men and women, it says. Men and women, out of their homes, door to door. Okay, how many of you have that scenario? If the police came to my door and found out that we were Christians and did come to our door because the nation changed and we're going to put to death Christians or imprison them and persecute them and seek to get them to stop believing, would you have a peaceful attitude toward the police that showed up at your door to arrest your wife or your husband? Whoop. Probably not, right? How many of you would feel violated? Well, this is my question for you. How many people in the New Testament lived through that? And how, what did they example for us? 
consider the historical context. Not just the historical, the historical narrative, that scripture that Luke actually wrote. That is scripture. Scripture. So do what is good and you'll have praise from the government. We will adorn the doctrine of God. Verse 4, for it, the government, is a minister, a servant of God. The government in general is a servant of God to you, all peoples, Christians and non-Christians, for good. Law and order. We have many things to be thankful for, especially here. And many of us are. We constantly thank God for the government that way. But that other stuff I'm talking about, if the government got savage against Christians, most people would want to respond in violence. And that, that would not be right. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it, the government, does not bear the sword, the right to capital punishment or any form of punishment that they decide to give out for nothing. For it is a minister, a repeat of the word minister here, of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Turn with me to Acts. Acts 4. We'll take a few minutes to look at a couple of these themes in Acts, kind of 4 through 9, 8, 9. And then maybe we'll have a couple minutes for questions at the end, okay? Acts 4, 1. As they were speaking to the people, the priests, and the captain of the temple, guard, and the Sadducees, which were the priests, came up to them, being greatly disturbed, because they were teaching the people, proclaiming Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. They laid hands on them and put them in jail. And I want you to notice that. Peter and John were arrested for preaching the gospel by their fellow Jews, who were the policemen of the Jews. Okay? The government... The Jewish government arrested Peter and John for speaking new revelation, correct revelation about Jesus, their Messiah, the nation's Messiah. They were arrested, and not just arrested, they were imprisoned, it says, in jail until the next day. So they spent a night in jail, okay? For it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. Okay, so now we've got 5,000 men strong that are Christians. Maybe 2,000 more believe now. That would have been more women and children involved in that number. With 5,000 men, how much damage do you think you can do if everyone had swords? Do you think you could overturn the temple? Maybe a hundred soldiers, maybe two, three hundred policemen for the Jews. 
Even if there was a thousand, you got five thousand. Was that Peter and John's plan? Is that your plan in the event that the American Constitution changes? What are you going to teach your children? This is what I want to ask you. Our nation and our laws are going to change someday. Nations rise and fall. Governments change. Laws change. <clears throat> Christian brothers and sisters have lived in far worse circumstances than we have. And are living presently in far worse circumstances. If, if we were to rebel against the government, would we go encourage Russian Christians? Are we sneaking rockets into Russian Christians and being like, dude, overthrow your government. This is Jesus' way. But how many of us think that way? I've been taught to think that way. Does that adorn the doctrine of God? Does that idea, do those ideologies adorn the doctrine of God? Is that good behavior? Is that proper? Is that New Testament behavior? Verse 6. All who were high priestly descent, when they placed them in the center, they began to inquire of Peter and John by what power, and they, they go through this questioning process, okay? So this is kind of like the cops that are grilling you in the room, the good cop, bad cop, grilling you in the room, finding out what you're saying and what you're doing. They're going through a, a prosecution process right now. And they just talk about Jesus, what they said. They related what they did. Ooh. Verse 13, Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, but they believed what they believed, and they were bold to say it. They were amazed. They began to recognize them, Peter and John, as having been with Jesus, the Jesus they just had crucified. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Many of them were dumbfounded. Like, we can't deny this miraculous healing, but we want them to stop talking about Jesus, who was just resurrected from the dead, and we tried to cover that whole thing up like it didn't happen and paid the guards off that saw it and told us it did happen and they, they saw angels. I mean, these guys are in total denial. But here, they're like, we're still denying these things and this plain out healing miracle that happened in front of us, but we still don't want them to speak the gospel. They had nothing to say in reply, the text says. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, okay, the government, this council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do to these men for the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem? We can't simply deny it. So what are we going to do, guys? How are we going to cover our tracks? But so that it won't spread any further among the people, let us warn Peter and John, to speak no longer to any in this name, the name of Jesus. And when they summoned them back to the council, they commanded them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather to, than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. Now this happens again later in Luke, actually further down in the chapter. 
is that the response to government persecution, Peter says twice in Acts, is to continue speaking the gospel. Christian response to persecution from the government is to continue to proclaim the gospel, to teach and to preach and to share the truth peacefully. That's the response. That's the only response that we see in Acts. It's never rebellion. And it's never gossip or bad talk either about the government doing this. Matter of fact, this is crazy. But Peter actually rejoices that he got in prison and was beaten. He doesn't go back to the coup and, guys, it was so tough. Man, I really wish God would just kill all them. Did you see how ugly that guy was that tried telling me what to do? Man, you know, there was no gossip. There was no backbiting. There was no meanness. There was no crudeness. There was no rudeness. It was an otherworldly kind of person living in Peter, the Holy Spirit, empowering him to do what was right in this moment. Do you think civil disobedience is appropriate? No. Our country wouldn't be here without civil disobedience, and our government is in place because of civil disobedience. And, and, and so then that, that's where it comes down to, then we're underneath I believe that our nation was founded on godly principles. There was people that were not Christians that were there. But without civil disobedience, we wouldn't be here as a country currently. Well, and I, I think of like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, for example, where they were disobeying government authorities and peacefully suffering the consequences of doing it. Yes. Yeah, so... Ron, I think you and Joel have two different ideas of civic disobedience. Okay, so examples of civic disobedience. I did want questions to hold till later. Because I knew it would land on this exact topic, and that's wondering if the Revolutionary War was correct or, or evil. And I was trying to get through the principles of the Bible and show people in the Bible first before we got there. But since you guys want to argue, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, everyone who participated in the Revolutionary War behaved wrongly. Well, the authority was established by God, it says, including the King of Britain, their rightful sovereign. It's difficult to say as an American patriot, but Scripture is pretty clear. Yes. So let me have a moment to speak on that. So what it means and what it doesn't mean. So, okay, so the Christian church went through, let me use an example first in history. The Christian church grew for 500 years. And then who invaded from the north, Rome? Germans. Okay, so Germans came and started taking over. Okay, and then, and then Europe got split up and stuff like that. Now, a lot of people after that and after that time... Many people started coming over from England, and I can't get into every nuanced detail about who actually still belonged to England and who didn't, because there's some people who dispute some of these things. But in general, the men who made a pact to rebel against the king, why did they rebel against the king? What's the phrase? What was the, what was the rallying cause? 
Taxation without representation. Does the Bible say because you're being overly taxed, you have a right to take up arms and overthrow the king? No, that's, that's actually totally wrong. That's totally wrong. What did Jesus say? Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. <laughs> Render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. Now there are... Christians do wrong things all the time and get carried away with improper sins, improper actions. It happens. There, I'm sure there was many Christians that participated in the Revolutionary War and got carried away with popular crowd opinion. But the New Testament teaches differently than that. If we look carefully. The American Revolution happened by God's ordination through sinful human beings that carried out those actions for God. And the humans are responsible for their actions. Christians won't be rewarded for taking part in those deeds. Nevertheless, the government which we are now under, the way in which it established, may have been wrong, but it's the government that exists now. I'm sure the Jewish nation felt like Babylon and Rome, like their occupation of them was wrong and that they had a right to rebel and to overthrow these governments that were Gentile governments taking over them. But that was not the way of the master. That wasn't the way of Jesus. That wasn't proper for his disciples. And so I'm talking to you today about things. Trust me, I did not arrive at this yesterday at working through this. I was in special forces for eight years. I come from a family and a society that generally most macho men breathe rights and guns and ammo. And we have the right to refresh the tree of liberty with the blood of tyrants and patriots. What a stupid, unbiblical phrase. That is ridiculous. And I feel ashamed for ever saying it before. Because Jesus Christ is a true king and he is far more worthy than my ideas of what's right and wrong. What he says is what is right. And it takes time to teach people and to change people's ideas about things. So I'm not saying I'm going to win you all over in a day. Yes. Lisa, you want to go first? Uh, so, okay, let's take a present day law. And, and maybe I'm misunderstanding, but um, so let's take the one child. One child and kill the rest, abort the rest. That is today law, or very recent, and you know, or or Christians not assembling. Right. I haven't covered what civic disobedience does not oh, mean. So you're not. Are you not talking about that? There are times when civil uh, civic disobedience is proper, and that's when the government asks you to betray what God has commanded you to do. So we always fall upon what the text says to do for us. Okay. So. Going back to the time of Moses, what did Moses' parents do with him when the Pharaoh, the government of the land, said to kill all the babies? They sent him away and hid him away in a basket. Okay, they wanted to preserve the life. But they did so how? Did 
did they did they rally the Hebrews, which outnumbered the Egyptians already? Like, dude, let's just kill them all. We're bigger. We outnumber them. No, God did that later. God did that for them later. Okay, what do we just read in Romans 12 at the last five verses? Don't take justice into your own hands. Vengeance is the Lord's. So John? You say, so you would say, like, uh, peacefully protesting an abortion clinic would not be the thing to do? So personally, for me, I would not be protesting with signs necessarily. I would spend more time preaching the gospel rather than saying, this is wrong kind of a thing. I think there's something where I could guide my... T it's not necessarily wrong to peacefully protest because government has allowed us that free speech on public property and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. I think there's more beneficial things to do as Christians than that. And that might be... For example, legislation is not going to change people's hearts. Okay? True. I'm going to use an example from John MacArthur in the, in the study notes. Dr. Wyatt is a, is a physician and a surgeon. This is like him abandoning his, his highly trained profession to assist and medically truly help people to become a makeup artist and just cover people up and say they're okay when they need help on the inside. Do you understand what that means? So, so painting makeup on society and getting, getting society to just kind of behave morally is not the goal of the gospel. The gospel is to be preached to people and taught to people because we're trying to convict sinners of sin and for them to have a heart change about truth and about what's right and wrong. Not, okay, I guess I can't kill my baby that I wanted to. I still want to. Rather than the gospel, seeing the beauty and the glory of Christ and of God and being like, I treasure children now. That's the heart change we're going for. Not external actions. External actions are fruit of the gospel coming into hearts and changing lives. And I think that's where we should focus our time and attention. Not enforcing legislation necessarily. I'm not against people that totally do that. I think they could spend their time better. Becoming good evangelists to actually change people's hearts. Yes, John. To me, the Bible, there's, there's, a, there's a confusion because the Bible is written for people, for individuals, for me, for you. The Bible is not written for government. And there's a distinction. Because I'm not supposed to kill, murder. But it has been set up in the Bible for punishment, for capital punishment, for example. Government has that authority to do that. It's never given to me, but there's a separation of what's allowable for an individual and for a government. And I think that's some of the some of the, the, the Revolutionary War. Individuals didn't go out and kill individuals. It was a, it was a government against a government. And the, and the Bible, you know, we are judges like it, it, up there where we receive condemnation. That's talking about us in eternity. A government is here and gone. They don't live eternally. We do. And so the, the Bible makes a distinction between what's right and wrong for individuals and government. So all those men that bounded together to become their own little government underneath the Liberty Bell, how did they win all those individuals to their cause? Hey, we're your new government. Listen to us now. Fight the war on our behalf. 
We're asking you, individuals, to rebel against your proper king right now and now submit to us. So you got one tyrant 3,000 miles away. How many of you have seen The Patriot? Okay, there's a nice line I like that Mel Gibson says in there. Why do you want me to, to forsake one tyrant 3,000 miles away for 3,000 tyrants one mile away in South Carolina? He said that to them, and I, I think that gets at the gist of it, is that no matter what, the next government isn't going to be necessarily be any better than the previous government. They technically, as individuals that owed allegiance to the king, did not have the right to rebel individually. They didn't have the right to, in private and in secret, form a new government and to preach to people to become underneath their new one. Why do you say that? Because it, I'm talking about this from Christian perspective, from a New Testament perspective. For those who profess to be believers, doing that is not morally right, according to Jesus' commands. But if they form a new government peacefully, peacefully that group, they are not different. different. It's not individual. I mean, the Bible talks to the individual, not to the government. The Bible says very little to government. The Bible talks to the individuals. And so if that individuals form a new government, then that government is taking on a different government. The Bible is also talking to the church, which is individuals that form up an organization that's called the kingdom. And the people are supposed to be submissive to their leaders, which are called elders and pastors. There's a type of government, but it's not national government. There's distinctions. John, we agree to disagree at this moment. Hitler was a humble dictator. And Hitler is very bad. I mean, Hitler, then, Hitler they should have, he should have been with them when he was with them. I know it's really difficult, guys. I get it. I've been there. I'm asking you to, to go to a very hard, difficult place. But I truly, truly, strongly believe that a Christian being martyred is far more powerful than a man taking up a gun as a witness of the kingdom. I'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for this time. Pray that we would all look into these things with care and caution and that we would love and respect you and that we would pray for our governing authorities, whether they are good or evil. We understand that they are doing many, many good things for us, and I pray that we will all be lights of good behavior to them. For your honor and glory, amen. Dismissed. <laughs>